Hello and welcome to Searching for Truth's latest episode. This week I am talking to the lovely Bethy, who I connected with via a group on Facebook just a couple of weeks ago. Now the group is um, predominantly for women that have been involved with flared or experienced domestic violence. And I was in that group and I shared a message about domestic violence and the link for me was uh, with adoption, rejection and I just kind of shared my story and that's how Bethy got in touch with me. I was really drawn to her message when she spoke about being adopted and finding her birth family and actually meeting her birth mom and her birth dad and I'm like wow I need to talk to you Bethy let's get together and we did and I I didn't know hardly any of what Bethy spoke about in this interview before she spoke it it's really powerful it's raw I suggest that you listen to the whole thing because there's twists and turns within this interview this really is sharing what searching for truth is all about because in my circumstance it wasn't just one thing it wasn't just being adopted it was the feeling of rejection you know could it be that that is what then led to feeling so low could that have put me in a prime position for child abuse Could that then put me in even more of an isolated position to wanting to find my birth mum? Could the trauma of finding my birth mum led me to um, searching for love and finding it in a domestic abusive relationship? There's just so many twists and turns in my story and there is in Beth's as well. I just think it's wonderful that during this interview both of us are able to explore this from outside looking in. It's from a safe space. And I really hope that those of you that do take the time to listen to this whole interview, hopefully you can also step outside of your own situation. And by listening to this, it will hopefully give you the courage to look at your situation, but from the outside and see it for what it is. Work with that. Work with that positive energy that you can have from standing on the outside rather than feeling the negative energy by being in it. It's time to step out of it. Look at it, face it, explore it, but don't be in it. Don't be in that pain anymore. The pain's gone. What you can turn that pain into when you look at it from the outside, you can turn that pain into a huge gift, a gift of experience that can help you and so many others. And I really hope that somehow, some way, This interview and many more that I do can help you lead you down this path, this path of truth, awareness, and ultimately love. Love is who you are, it's who we all are, and it's where I believe we're all destined and trying desperately, albeit unknowingly, to get back to. Wow, that was a waffle and a half. So let's just get on and share the interview. This is with myself and the lovely Bethy. We're talking about adoption. Can this lead, the rejection of adoption, can this lead to an abusive relationship? It certainly did in this case. Hello, Bethy. Hiya. Hiya. So I've literally only known you for a few days. Days, yeah. Yeah. 
after sharing um, a little bit about my story around uh, child abuse and explaining around what I've the connection with the being adopted and then yeah. you've come forward and um, shared with me your story in um, and what really I, I, I honed in on was that you too have found your birth family yeah so um it's hard to know where to start really Bethy um yeah. but do you want to start from you know like from the beginning I guess for you know what how did you well let me let me ask you this because I, I always knew I was adopted I was adopted as a baby three months old what was what was it for you what when did when were you adopted and how did it work uh, out for you I was six weeks old um my mum had already decided when she was pregnant she couldn't look after me because I had an older sister and she was homeless she couldn't even afford a coat for my sister so there was no way she could have looked after me um but yeah so I was in a hospital with her for five days in Walsgrove in Coventry and then I went to foster carers until I was six weeks old and then my mum and dad came and picked me up with my two older brothers who were both adopted as well from different families so I've got brought up with other people who were adopted so that was quite nice actually not being the only one on my own but I mean my brothers when I found my birth mother they were not happy so that kind of made a divide with that family but I mean we, we get on a lot better now but I came to Coventry when I was 20 to find my mum I'd spent years as a kid you know just every birthday every mother's day you sit there and you're like wonder what she looks like I wonder if I look like her I wonder if she's thinking about me and I used to sit on my windowsill and just stare at the moon and go I hope she can see it because that's the only thing that you can see from everywhere isn't it so yeah I kind yeah. of focused on that and I kind of had an idea in my head of what she'd be like and you know as a 12 year old going you know oh my mum's gonna be amazing and then when you get to like 15 16 you kind of realize well if you don't have a baby and give it up if there's no issues in your life and that sort of thing so then I started thinking well you know it could be drug it could be abuse it could be alcohol is anything so uh when I was 18 I wrote a letter to my social worker that she said that she would forward on to my parents or to my mum for an address that she had so she I sent her the letter and I went I don't want you to send it yet I'm not ready so about two years after I decided I was ready and they sent a letter I got a phone call saying I've sent the letter to the address we have um if we don't hear anything in two weeks I'll knock on her door and then we'll go from there and she phoned me the next day and she went I've just had a phone call off your mum and she wants to meet you on Friday I was like wow okay she was like you've got a little sister you've also got a younger brother who was adopted out as well I was like okay it's a lot to take in uh, the social worker said, because she'd been to visit my mum that day, she went, it's a bit of a chaotic house. You know, there was a lot of kids running in and out, my little sister and her mates, and she, there was a smell of cannabis and all this sort of thing. I was like, right, OK. So I went and met her at Father Hudson's on the 15th of July, 2005. And she jumped on me and she went, you're so beautiful. You look just like me. And that was it. Wow. We started. And we cried with each other and she told me about my sister and how she'd been abused as a kid as well and how she didn't, she was sorry she didn't look after me and 
I was like, I don't have any resentment towards you. I did when I was younger, because I always thought, if your mum don't want you, who's going to? And I kind of had that mindset for a lot of years. But meeting her, all of that just went away. And I saw her as a, not as my birth mother that I had in my head, I saw her as an actual person, rather than just this, this fantasy that I'd kind of made up to myself. And we got on really well. We spoke every day. She used to text me. She used to call me a little angel. And then 18 months later, she passed away. I got a phone call and it was my little sister. And she went, she passed away this morning. And I went, what? She went, yeah. Was, so, was that, was there any kind of um, warnings was, about that? What, what, she was what? supposed to go to some, some scans or something. She had a, a stomach used to swell up all the time. Like abnormally, I was six months pregnant when she passed away with my, uh, my first son, who was actually, his, his dad was my mum's best mate growing up. So I got into a relationship with him through my mum. And yeah, that's the guy that's not such a nice guy. Yeah. But we're having three kids. But yeah, when my mum passed away, I was six months pregnant with our first son, Anthony. And that was really hard. Yeah. Really, really hard. Yeah. But I mean, my mum was, she was just an alcoholic. She was, she wasn't just an alcoholic, but it, alcohol like ruled her life. Drug abuse ruled her life. Abuse from men ruled her life. She was put into care when she was two years old. And she actually did what I did. She came to Coventry to find her mum. So I kind of followed in her footsteps. It's like a cycle, isn't it? Even though yeah. it's like a subconscious, unconscious cycle, because you don't even yeah. know that you're, you're in it. You've, oh. yeah. And wow. then you look back at it and you go, oh, my gosh, the similarities. And I started drinking a lot and that sort of thing. And I've, I've, I still drink on a Saturday, but, you know, two glasses of wine or something. But I was drinking two bottles of wine a day at some points. And just, I don't know, I think if I hadn't have met my mum, I think I'd have a lot of questions still. But then a year later, she, just before she passed away, she got me in touch with my birth father. So I found out I had an older sister from him and three younger brothers. And he was actually here yesterday. He just texted me yesterday and went, what are you up to, babe? Can I pop round? I was like, yeah, come round. So we have a really good relationship now, which is really, really nice. But I don't, I speak to my sister on my dad's side. I don't speak to any of my mum's other children. I just, we just don't see eye to eye. I think my little sister was always jealous that I got the nice house and the parents who'd go on holidays and she got stuck with someone who drank Frosty Jack all day. But... We've, I've tried to speak to her over the years and it's just, we don't, we just don't, we're not, our personalities don't mix. We're like water and oil, we just don't mix with each other. But we did for years, every, on my mum's anniversary, the 18th of December, we always used to meet up and light some candles or just, just make, make her do something just to remember her almost. Yeah. But yeah, so she lives in Nottingham now. So, but I haven't spoken to her for a year and a half or something. Wow. Yeah. And does she have the same um, father as you? No, I'm the only one out of all of the kids who's got the same mum and dad. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And how do your um, adopted parents um, feel about all of this? You know, you finding... You know, the they whole really, sort of searching in the first place. What was their thoughts on that? 
I think because growing up, I always spoke about being adopted. It was always a major issue for me. It was, you know, I felt rejected. I felt all of this. So I think they already knew from when I was quite a young age that I was going to be going out and trying to find them or at least looking into it in some way, shape or form. So because I knew I had an older sister as well from my mum because my birth mother and my adopted mother and my dad actually all met each other um, before I was adopted. So they all met. So my mum would know, my birth mum would know that I was in good hands and that sort of thing. I think it was more to give a peace of mind because she was such a anxious, very on edge. She By the end of her life, she was agoraphobic and she just, she wouldn't go out the house. She'd always sit there with a three-litre bottle of Frosty Jacks next to her and her cigarettes. And yeah, she was She was only 44 when she passed away as well. So she was really, really young, which is quite do you Do you think that your, your sort of, you know, you said you just have a couple of glasses of wine now on a Saturday. Do you feel that that's because you can see a bigger picture now? Can you? Yeah. yeah. Because with my older kids, my three older kids live with my mum in Birmingham because... When I was with their dad, I had um, three mental breakdowns. And I mean, like to the point where I was suicidal, where I was drinking every day. I got onto taking drugs. I was on amphetamines every day for nearly a year and a half. I went down from being uh, eight and a half stone to being five stone, 12. I mean, like I was wearing age 10 girls jeans and they were baggy on me. Like it was horrendous. And then I went and I, I saw kind of this is what my mum did she had kids she couldn't cope she gave them to someone else and she sat and felt sorry for herself and I thought I'm not doing that anymore I've done it for a year and a half I'm going to get off my bum I'm going to go and get the help that I need I'm going to go and get all of this done and get myself sorted and that's what I did yeah and then I split up with my ex then we got back together and had another child together and uh then my granddad had cancer and I started the confidence course again that I'd done years before. And I did that. And my goal was by the end of this confidence course, I'm not going to be in that relationship anymore. And then three weeks before the end of the course, my granddad died. And he was like my hero. My was that family. your granddad on your adopted side? Your granddad? Yeah. My mom, grew up yeah. 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 My mum's dad. And he was just the most amazing man ever. Like when I think of what I want in a husband or and it, that's the sort of man you'd want. And my, my husband now actually really reminds me of my granddad. Like chilled out, funny, just really nice person. Hasn't got a bad word to say about anyone. But yeah, when he passed away, I just went, I'm not doing this. I don't want him to die. And I don't want to sit here and be in the same situation that I'm in now in a year. Like, I want to make him proud of me. And I think that was, for me, get out. Just get out now. Yeah. Sort yeah. of thing. And I did. And, we're t- and we are talking about an abusive relationship, aren't we? Here? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, picking me up by my throat. My teeth are absolutely disgusting because he wouldn't let me brush my teeth. Because he said, if I didn't brush my teeth, I'd have horrible teeth and no one would want to kiss me. And I mean, like, at first, I'd just buy new toothbrushes. He'd find them. He'd put them under his armpit. He'd put them wipe his bum with them, he'd clean the toilet with them, get the mould off from around the sink and stuff. And in the end, I just stopped brushing my teeth because there was no point. I was always put bleach on my toothpaste or on my toothbrush or it was it was his one of his ways of controlling me was by doing that. I couldn't speak to my friends. 
every time I went to Birmingham to a wedding or a family do, he would always kick off with me, like, so that I would have a really bad time. And I'd be panicking about what I'm, what's going to happen when I get home. Yeah. And it was, it was horrendous. I mean, I've, he, he, he threw a massive box at my head. He, he, he used to smash my head against the table. I was, that's why I started taking the drugs because I just couldn't cope with what I was doing. And I mean, he was 22 years my senior and wow. I was 20 when I met him and he was 42 and I was very naive. I was brought up in Sutton Coalfield with nice mum and dad, 2.4 children, had cars in the drive, holidays away abroad every year and all this sort of stuff. I didn't see the other side of life almost. I didn't see where my mum came from or that sort of side of life I didn't see I didn't know it was could be like that for anyone I was really blinded to it and when I met him I wanted to you know fit in with my mum and do things for my you know and be part of that family because I was always the black sheep anyway mm-hmm. and I thought well now I found my real family I'm going to fit in perfect with them and yeah I didn't <laughs> I ended up getting with him and being abused for nine years and having three kids that now live with my mum and dad and even though I'm fighting to get them back because the social services are in different areas. We've got Coventry and Birmingham, they won't work with each other. And as far as long as the kids are not in danger, I, I can't just go and pick them up because I'll get them for kidnapping. My parents have got a residency order, but I still share parental rights with them and with my ex-partner. But I haven't spoken to him for seven years until a couple of weeks ago when my son was picking up knives and threatening to stab my mum. So I went to Birmingham, grabbed my child and took him to his dad's house and went, we need to talk. We need to show him that we are old enough now and we're more mature that we can sit down and have a conversation without it being a fight and we need to do it for the kids. We don't need to talk about anything else. I'm not going to phone you. I'm not going to turn up. I just want to make sure my son knows that we both love him and that he knows that he's got people to talk to. And Mm -hmm. I think that was the scariest thing I've ever done is just turn up on his doorstep because I didn't know how he'd react to me. I didn't know if he'd. How was me. he? How was he when you after you'd said all that? Um, actually, because he's he's broken now. He's in a wheelchair now, and he's he doesn't really speak to anyone. So I think he's just a sad, lonely old man, to be honest with you. Which I know it sounds horrible, but I'm really, really grateful for because he he doesn't deserve happiness he doesn't deserve all the stuff he took away from me I was a 20 year old naive little girl and I was happy go lucky and he literally killed my spirit for nine years and it's taken a lot of work for me to get back to the person I am now I mean I still have panic attacks anxiety attacks um I can't drink that much anymore because when I start drinking too much I just start going into overdrive and my mental health kicks in but yeah I think after all the stuff he's put me through, the fact that he sat there and I felt in control of the situation, I felt like I was in charge. And I think that's what I've needed as a bit of closure from it. And it was amazing. I walked out of there and I was like, yes, I've done it. I finally faced him after seven years of sitting there being scared to see him if I'm in town or if I'm with my husband, I would always be like, oh my God, what if he comes in? And yeah and now I don't have to do that I'm just like right I've taken back the power and you can't do that to me anymore yeah but he did sit there and he was like you've put loads of weight on you you know you're fat now and I just went 
no, I'm not fat, Tony. I just don't need drugs to get up in the morning. I don't need drugs to deal with what my life is now. I went, my drug is McDonald's, you know, <laughs> or a Chinese on a Saturday night. That's I don't need to take weed or amphetamines or anything like that because I'm not trying to cover any pain or hide anything from anyone. I've come out, I've said, this is what happened to me. This is the situation that I was in. This is the people who, and the things that he was saying to me. I mean, when I died, he was supposed to be my mum's best friend. And he was like, you're just a slag like your dead mum and stuff like that. And he'd, he'd use her to try and hurt me. Mm. And it really would, like, I mean, I'd cry my eyes out. And now I'm just like, no, I'm not doing it. I don't cry for anything now. So, yeah, I'm a lot stronger than I was. Yeah. And I, I, do you know what yeah. the weird thing is? I wouldn't change a minute of it because if I changed it, I wouldn't be me now. Yeah. And I'm actually really proud of the woman that I am now. Yeah. So, yeah, I love it. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm loving hearing hearing this because I can, I can, I can feel that, you know, we're on these journey, we're on this journey and we get these things thrown at us. Yeah. And what's similar in a way is the connection. There's, I do, and I said this in that video that I was shared with you for the first time, it's like I do actually feel that the abuse is connected to, you know, being adopted and feeling lonely. Yeah. Really grabbed all my self-esteem. Yeah. So I was in a very vulnerable position to be abused obviously yeah. being a different colour to everyone else, and then feeling that that lack of love and loneliness. And you mentioned confidence. I'll talk to you about that in a minute. But I had no confidence. So then you come across somebody who's older and you think is, you know, exciting. Yeah. And But actually, when, so when you look at the bigger picture now, it's like it's all kind of connected. So I'm loving yeah. that you've you've shared all of that. I mean, there's two real big areas there domestic abuse finding your family and wow the connection between the two if, if you hadn't have found your birth mom you yeah. wouldn't have entered into this relationship but then I love the fact Bethy that you can stand back now and just say what you've just said about yeah. you know because you have you've got this strength even out of you and I I always feel that there's a huge amount of gifts in shit that's happened to us Yep. If we can stand back and look at everything from that perspective, there are so many gifts. Yeah. And it feels like you've, you, you've, you know that. Yeah. I think when, when, I, when I was 20, I mean, looking at a 42 year old man, he's got 13 motorbikes, he's big leather jackets. And I mean, he was six foot six tall. He was built and he was just, wow. I was like, Hiya. And the fact I felt almost honoured that he would even look at me like that. It was like, wow, he's this proper man and he's got this proper little life and it, he's, he wants me to be part of it. How lucky am I? And then when I look at it now, it's like he's 42. He's looking at a 20 year old girl because I wasn't a woman then. I, was, I wasn't mentally mature enough to be a woman. And he took advantage of that. And looking at it now, I go, oh, my God. If I ever see a little girl in that position, I, I will not let that happen to her. I'm not going to, you know, my, my niece actually was in a relationship with someone a couple of months ago who started raising his hands to her. And I went, no, you're not doing it. And I took her phone and I blocked him and I blocked, and she went, you, don't, you can't do that. I went, I can't. 
I went, you don't know what you're walking into. I went, and I'm not going to let you do it. And she'd never actually known that much about the violence. And then when I told her about it, she was like, oh, my God. And when it starts with one slap and then they cry, I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. So you forgive them. And then they do it again. And then they cry and they feel sorry for you. And they kind of put the, if you hadn't have done this, I wouldn't have done that to you. And then you feel guilty. And then it just builds and builds. And it happens time and time again. And it happened with her about three times. And I went, no, you can't. You can't keep going back away because it's just going to get worse. Yeah. And thankfully, she walked away. So we didn't have to go and visit her in hospital or anything like that. But, you mm. know, like, I'm, I'm so grateful she actually listened to me in the end when I kind of opened up a bit to her. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah it's just... I think after you, you come out of it and you can actually see it as what it is, because I think when you're in it, you just think everyone's against you. This is the person who loves me. Like, I need him. And you feel reliant on them. It's almost like the Stockholm Syndrome thing. Like, they treat you like that. But then if you don't have them, you've got no one. So rather than not having anything, you just grasp onto the little bit of happiness that they give you, regardless of all the bad stuff. Yeah. And I think especially being adopted and for me looking for someone who actually genuinely unconditionally loved me and I thought I found it in him and I gripped it with both hands and I was like even if there's just a glimmer of love that I hadn't felt from anyone else before apart from my granddad and I was like just a little bit of that and yeah I'm having it. Wow I mean it you know um, this really resonates with me and I'm sure will with so many other people that have being adopted because it's from the moment you know you 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 you're sort of plagued with this feeling of rejection yeah and some people aren't I mean what I'm, I'm interested to know your two brothers that were also adopted yeah did they also um want to see or think talk talk about their birth parents they're no, completely never. different to you yeah absolute complete other end the day I found out they'd found my birth mum, I went to my mum's house to tell her. My brother opened the door and I went They found my birth mum and he just stormed out, drove off. And he didn't really speak to me for about a year after that. And then when he did, it was always negative. Like, even when he came to my wedding three years ago, he was like, are they going to be there? Well, yeah, my birth dad didn't actually come because he'd actually had an argument because um, he got drunk and said he didn't know if I was his daughter in front of a room full of people and I got really upset and I know he didn't mean it he was just drunk and being stupid and it was because I was going oh where's all my Christmas presents from the last 20 years and having a laugh and a joke with him and he just I think because he'd had one too many he turned around he went well I don't even know if you're mine and I went right get out of my house I'm not speaking to you and then we I just kind of about a year after I just went Do you know what his, his mum died and I think that's what got his back to walking again so, and I'm really, really good friends with his ex-wife as well. So, with yeah, your dad, I mean, with your with your birth father's ex-wife. Yeah, yeah. Like my little brother's mum. Right. She's incredible. Like I can phone her day or night. I can ask her to help out with my kids. Like she's just. I've, since I've met my birth family, although I don't get on with any of my mum's side, my dad's side, I've got like a whole new family now that when I'm upset, I can phone them. When I'm feeling down, I can phone them. And because they understand the mental health side of it as well, because my mum suffered and I was 
diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, which is actually uh, triggered off by being uh, rejected at a young age which is the adoption, I was actually sexually abused as a child as well. So that's a big trigger of it as well. And I was actually diagnosed with depression and anxiety when I was 12 years old. So I've always kind of had that. And non, no one in my birth family, in my adoptive family, understood mental health. It was just kind of swept under the carpet. And then when you meet my mum and my birth dad, and they all understand it because they've all gone through it. It just kind of gives you a bit of a, oh, I'm not the only one it's not just me thank god for that so yeah i've just i've just learned so much from since meeting all of them and i've even though a lot of it's been very dark and a lot of it's been you know when my mum died i found out after my mum died that the um the lad the, the guy who i was pregnant by who was my mum's best friend i actually found out that he was the first person to hold me when i was born and i was like that's really, really creepy. But I was seven months pregnant with our first, with my first child. And it's like, what am I going to do with that information? I'm here, but I'm pregnant. I can't unpregnate myself, you know? I'm not going to do anything to my unborn child. But, yeah, it really, really put me on edge, that did. I just thought it was a bit of a... How, how can you sit there and hold me as a baby and then have a baby with me? Yeah. And I think yeah. it's because I didn't grow up with my mum. I think it's because he saw a baby and then 20 years later, he saw like this woman, <clears throat> and well, a little girl in a woman's body. And I think he just didn't connect the two. Or, but the fact that he didn't tell me and I had to find out from other people and then question him about it, I think that's the weirdest bit. Cause my mum never told me either, which I think was quite strange as she was my birth mum. you you, you kind of mentioned that to your daughter. Oh, yeah, you know the guy that you've, you're pregnant by? Well, you know, he held you when you were a baby. And no, it's just a bit weird. Yeah, it is a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but there is a real, I think there is a real connection here with, um, we've talked about it all. We've even touched, you've touched on, a, on child abuse. I was abused yeah. as a child as well. And... Again, I think this rejection, yeah, feeling reject like why you're given away, you're given up, yeah, and you don't know why, yeah, don't know the circumstances, you don't know pretty much. Well, I didn't know anything, no, nor did I. So, you're just in this world as a child that's not fully developed, just like I, I was. I would go crazy sometimes thinking about my mom. What does she look like? Yeah. Cry myself to sleep at night, daydream like crazy thinking about yeah. her. Yeah. Yeah, I used to sit, like I said, I used to sit on my window, still look at the moon. I used to write a lot of depressing poetry about, you know, being rejected at a young age and about where is she? Why did she give me up? Why do I have an older sister that she looked after? Why did she keep her and not me? What was, what, is it because of my dad? Because I didn't know anything about him. And growing up, I even said to him yesterday when I saw him, I says, I never, I was never that bothered about you, you know. I went, it was always my mum. I was obsessed. Yeah. It was like, what does she look like? Do I look like her? Is she this? Is she that? And, you, you know, I'd sit there and I'd cry myself to sleep for, for weeks on end. Every birthday, I would end up crying. Every Mother's Day, I would end up crying. I'd sit there and go, like, I don't even know when her birthday is. So I just picked a day, which I picked it the day before my birthday. So 
we could both I could celebrate both of them. And then I found out her birthday was actually the 7th of March when we met. So every 7th of March, even now, I still, you know, light my candle, put some flowers there and just make a deal out of it. Because I never got to buy her any birthday presents, really. And I've got a pendant that she bought me for my 21st. And it's in my jewellery box, locked away somewhere no one could find it. And it's the only piece of jewellery in there because I won't wear it in case it falls off or I lose it. But it's the most important piece of jewellery I have. It's the only present she ever bought me for my birthday. And it was my only birthday that I celebrated with her was my 21st. And then she passed away. Oh, I'm so pleased that you... um met your mum and had that good 18 18 months did you say with her yeah 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 it's 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 lovely to hear that um both my birth parents are dead and I never met them but I actually feel that it's lovely hearing your story but I actually now I know what I know about my birth mum she it was an open verdict, but it's highly likely that she committed suicide because she was in a domestic, very violent relationship. And when I look at her life, the way it was, I feel now, and I guess it's a way of me dealing with it as well. I think I'm blessed that I didn't enter into that. Yeah. It's a big thing, isn't it? I mean, it just can open so many. I mean, like you say, you've, it's kind of a weird one, isn't it? Because I mean, you've met your, you would, through her, through your mom, you've met your the father of your children. But if you hadn't, then you wouldn't have your lovely children. Exactly. So it's kind of like it's one of them, isn't it? It's like I've, I've, I've really struggled with this because some days I think to myself, do I wish I'd never met her? Do I wish that I'd have just stayed in Birmingham and stayed with mom and dad and just? But then I'm always going to have them questions unanswered and could I still live like that would us or would that mess me up even more but you never know, never going to know the answer and that is something that I, even now I still struggle with if I didn't have met her I wouldn't have met him and I wouldn't have gone through the 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 mental breakdowns that I went through I wouldn't have gone through any of that but on the same hand if I hadn't have gone through any of that I wouldn't be who I am now I was I just mean? gonna say that it makes you who you are now and yeah. You know, we we have to kind of sometimes, I mean, sometimes I feel so blessed, actually, that I wouldn't want to go through it again. No, I say no, this no. a lot, I would not want to go back. You know, like I've got some people at school from the old school days saying, oh, wouldn't you love to just go back to school? And I'm like, no. no. I mean, no. that was such a really bad time for me. <laughs> it's yeah. like, but, you know, and it's different for everybody. But I am so, I wouldn't change anything but I just yeah. wouldn't want to go back there and experience it again, obviously. Right. But actually looking at me now and what I'm doing now and what I can see, my perspective is so much wider than a lot of people's because of what's happened makes me stronger. I'm in a position now to be able to help others. Yeah. And had I not been through this, and I wouldn't. And it's it's the same for you. It's the same for your awareness and your strength yeah. and your children. It's going to yeah. really help them. And the cycle. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my two youngest, uh, Daniel and Joseph, they're my children by my husband. Um, about a year after I split up with my abuser, in fact, about three weeks after I split up, I went uh, out with my birth father for a drink. And it was actually in the pub opposite where my birth mum lived. 
and it was the pub where I was actually dropped off on the first day to go and see her, where the social worker dropped me off there. And uh, I walked in there with my dad and I met my future husband. And it was, it's, it's all goes round in circles. And it's like, he's been drinking in that pub since I first met my mum. He was drinking in there then. He's 11 years older than me, but he is the most gentle, most understanding, most caring bloke you've ever met. When I met him, he told me he couldn't have kids. And four months later, I went to the hospital to have some girly testing and she went, you can't do it, you're pregnant. I was like, what? When I told him, we had Daniel. And then six months later, I was pregnant again. And then, yeah, we decided no more after that. But we, he was 40 when, he, when my, my first son was born. And he always says, he says, before you, I was just toddling along in my own little life. He went, you come in and just, you was a little storm cloud. You just got a little ray of sunshine and just changed. He says, life begins at 40. He says, that's what they say. He says, mine really did. I never had a proper girlfriend. He's now got two children, which he never thought he'd have. And yeah, he's just, he's just amazing. And obviously, because I had social services involved previously, when we first got pregnant, social got involved and they sat there and said, do you want to meet the parents that will bring it, be bringing up your child? Because with my history of the mental health and everything, they didn't think I'd be capable. And he sat there and he went, you're all wrong. He went, and we're going to prove you wrong and we're going to do everything we can. And you're all going to sit there and tell at the end of this and say, you were right, you have proved us all wrong. And that's exactly what happened because he never judged me on anything. He never, he just accepted me the way I was. And he was like, yeah, He's like, okay, we can work with this. At least I know what I'm working with. Yeah, he's like, I love you. I'm going to marry you. And I, that, that was within five months of us being together. And he sat there in front of my mum and he was like, I'm going to marry you. I was like, oh my gosh. So yeah, it was, it's just amazing like how close we are. And his mum died when we'd been together six weeks and I'd only met her twice. And one was at a family birthday party for her sister. And she turned around the next day to Craig and she went, she's one of us. She went, I really like her, she's one of us. And I'd actually said to her, I'm going to marry your son the day before. And I said that Craig's niece was there and I went, and you're going to be bridesmaid. And she's now my niece and she was my head bridesmaid at my wedding. So, yeah, it all kind of, it's all, you think when you're in a bad relationship, you think you can never see the end of it. And you, you don't know how you're going to get out of it. And, Sometimes you try and then you end up going back because you don't, you don't want to fail. So it's like, I'll go back to what's familiar rather than struggle and try and fight and get out. And then when I did, oh, it's just, you realise how worth it, it is. And you realise that all of those days where you sat there and you were allowing this person to treat you so badly and to literally crush your confidence, crush everything that's nice about you. So you just become broken. Like I felt broken for so many years and I built myself back up and my husband has helped me, but you know, you've, you've got to try and I look back at it now and I go, Oh my God, what was the doing? Nine years. Why did I do it for so long? What the hell was wrong with me? But at the time I didn't see it like that. I was like, Oh, I've got nothing else. I don't know what else to do. Like I, I just felt I had no other options. And then, you get to a stage where I woke up and I went, oh, I'm not doing this again. Oh, I'm not doing this again today. I packed my little bag. I went off to my confidence course. I did that. And then I went to the house and I went, I need to get into a refuge. And that was it. I went to a refuge. 
nine months in there and then got my own flat. Brilliant. And, and there are a lot of refuges out there now um, compared to um, like, I'm really pleased about that because I know when my mom, my birth mom was going through it, there wasn't really anything then that was in the seventies, eighties. There wasn't really, but yeah. now there is there, there is places for women to go. Yeah. And I, I'm so glad you got out. I mean, nine years, it is a long time, but there are women girls women that are in relate abusive relationships for forever yeah you know, they cannot get out because that is the controlling the manipulation yeah. that 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 it's that it's there that's what it is that's why you can't get out and it's not your fault yeah a hundred percent I don't think you realize until I mean some women my mom was abused growing up um sexually by men by boyfriends she was beaten she my little sister got beat up by my mum's boyfriends as well and when you look at it as a whole like I was saying about the whole like adoption thing and my mum came to Coventry to find her mum and I just went I'm not doing it I'm not going to continue this cycle I'm not going to let my kids continue this cycle stops with me that's it I'm done and I think when you make that decision you just go right this is going to be really hard I don't know what I'm doing. I literally took my hairdryer, two pairs of jeans, three tops and two pairs of shoes. And that was it on my way. And whatever clothes I had on me. And I just went, I'm not going back. And I think that's the hardest thing because he was phoning me and texting me. And, you know, we can work it out. And I just, by that stage, I was just like, no, no, we can't. I am done. I'm gone. I am doing me again. I'm going back to being who I was before I met you. Or at least... It, get that happy bit back of me that you know the confidence that that I am actually good enough to do this I am worthy enough to be treated equal I I do deserve to be happy I don't deserve to be put down constantly and you know to, to the point where I couldn't wake up without taking drugs because I just couldn't cope with my life as it was and now you get to a stage where I've been clean for 10 years and it's like ha what was I doing like it's so much nicer when you wake up and you're not hanging and you're not struggling and isn't know, it? It's yeah, isn't yeah, it? It's just lovely. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I've just recently joined the gym as well, so that's even a bigger motivator for me because that's going to get my confidence up as well and tone up and feel better and the endorphins it releases. It's just the last month where, since it's been closed, I've been doing it in my living room, been doing zumba. The kids think I'm going mental. <laughs> But it's so good for the, it's so good for your mentality and to keep you like aware of stuff and yeah. rather than being in that dull, like grey area where everything's just miserable day in and day out. Now I wait, I can't wait to wake up and see what I'm going to do today or what's going to happen or, you know, what what funny thing is my son going to say to me today or, you know, just the little things that make when you just think and you go, that's really nice that is. Those are the moments where I'm just like, that's what I wake up for every day. Whereas before, I lived nine years without that. Mm. And it's really scary when you look back and go, wow, how did I survive what I was going through? Because yeah. like, I just, I, I, I broke down, I just locked off. I just put my guard up and that was it. Like, this is what life is going to be like for me. I'm never going to be really happy. And I accept it and I'm just going to carry on and do what I have to do to survive it. And now I'm just like... The complete opposite of that. Yeah. So, yeah. 
And it's it's like hearing your story is um, similar, but obviously different, very different, but similar insofar as I was faced with seeing um, a new life as, as I found out that I had a brother. That was a big thing for me. And yeah. finding out that um, my mom, birth mom, had committed suicide and was obviously in a very abusive relationship like I was at the time. So it was yeah. like seeing like a, a, the cycle in front of you. Yeah. I suppose uh, um, before that time, like with yourself, that eight years, nine years, and for me, five years, you're just kind of in a, a bubble of abuse. Yeah. You're not seeing outside of that bubble. No. But the minute you see that and you start to, you, you, something then can drives you to say, actually, no more. No yeah. more. But it's almost like you need to take a step out of the bubble, as scared as you might be, as threatened as you might feel, take a step out and just have a look. Yeah. But it, the manipulation and the perpetrator's control is, you know, like you said about the toothbrush. I mean, that is just, yeah. you know, it's, it's mind. We're talking about mind manipulation here as well. It's yeah. like I mean, it's it's hard to step now. out that bubble when that stuff's going on. Yeah. I didn't even realise, like for me, that was just normal. Like it was just... A, 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 at first, it was a battle because I was like, I'm not giving up. And every time I went to the shop, I'd buy like three toothbrushes and I'd hide them around the house and buy the toothpaste and everything because he never brushed his teeth. And it was like, you know, it, it's just... In the end, I just went, right, I'm not doing it anymore because it's just making my day more and more stressful. I give in, you get your own way. And it's, he'd say it to me every argument. He'd be like, look at the state of your teeth. No one's ever going to want to kiss you with them. And it was his way of going... You, I, I'm the only one who's going to want to kiss you. I'm the only one. Everyone else is going to think you're disgusting and this, that, and the other. But then, at the like, same time, he's not letting you brush your teeth. Yeah, yeah. It was all. It was all about he could make me. He he could do that to me, and there was literally nothing I could do about it. And he reveled in that. He reveled in that for years. He could sit there and he knew I was absolutely petrified of him. He knew it and. There was nothing I could do. The only times when he wasn't as violent is when I was pregnant. But I mean, a lot of a lot of the stuff that he did was mental. A lot of it was mental abuse or gaslighting a lot as well, like moving stuff around the house. When I know I've put my phone somewhere and he'd move it and I wouldn't find it for three days and then I'd find it where I'd lost it in exactly the place where I'd said it was. And I'd think I was going mad and I'm thinking, is this me? Is this really? am I actually going mad or is it because I'm taking the drugs and they're making me forget stuff or I just didn't know and it was just a daily it was like nine years of just like you said being in a bubble but it was just I didn't see it for what it was at all it was just normal mm. like waking up in the morning doing his breakfast doing his coffee doing that without getting shouted at or you know not spilling the coffee on the way in even though I'm shaking because I don't know what mood he's going to be in that day and walking on eggshells and some days it's like you're right and other mornings he'd be like, for fuck's sake, and start shouting. And... Never know, do you? you yeah. just never know what what you're coming home to or what, yeah, what he's coming in. What, yeah. And because neither of us worked at the time, we were in a house 24-7 with each other. Like, I couldn't go to work. And when I did, he would put love bites all on my neck and all here. And you don't want to be sitting or working behind a bar with someone who looks like that. So I got fired. So he knew 
oh, well, look, you've got fired now, so you're going to have to sit with me. And it wasn't. It was just the possession sort of thing of it. I don't want you working in a pub where other blokes are talking to you. So I'm going to let everybody know that you're taken. And if they don't like it, well, it doesn't matter. I'll look after you. You can come and sit home with me and I'll pay for this. And I was like, you're on benefits, mate. And then I realised that he was actually growing cannabis and selling it. And uh, that's how he was actually making all of his money. And uh, yeah, it was just day in and day out. It was just, you just don't see through the cloud that you're in. It's like you're in, you've got your head stuck in a rain cloud and you literally, everywhere you look, it's just the same. You can't see the sunshine above you. You've got a really, really, well, I had to really struggle to, to see what I was actually going through and the effect it was having on me. And the third time that I went into um, a mental hospital and it was only a day thing. So I had to go every day for three months and seeing all these other women and that they're going through it and, their stories are more horrendous than my story. And I was like, I loved going there because it was the only time throughout my whole relationship where I was actually happy because I could speak to other people because he just thought they were all nutters. And the reality of it was they weren't. They're just people who've been through a lot and they can't cope with it anymore. Mm. And I think being in a situation where you can recognise that in someone else or see that pain in someone else that you're feeling and you connect with them on that level, I think it just changes your whole outlook of life. As soon as you connect with someone who's not in your abuse bubble, you've got a chance to maybe get out or see a little bit of hope or, you know, these people were really nice to me and really kind to me. And I was like, what do you want in return? I was really, why are you being like this? And then you realise that, no, that's just what most people are like. That's, that's, That's actually normal. Yeah. But you don't but, know, you're so far removed from normal because yeah. you've deliberately been. I just want to ask you, Bethany. So the way I look, I I'm I can see like how my life childhood would have been with my birth mom compared yeah. to how it was with my adopted parents. And there were issues. We've touched on sexual abuse, which you know I kept very close to me to myself. Um, there were issues with the color of my skin and all of this, but I did have love. I did have love, you know, from the moment I was adopted, they loved me and I felt very loved at home. There was issues like my mom and dad, very old school, very taboo. Yeah. Yeah. And there was things. And I think that's why, you know, I didn't share a lot of my childhood experiences with them because I felt it was my fault because God forbid, I didn't believe for one minute or even think that my mum and dad would be having sex. No. They didn't do that, did they? No, they no didn't parents do that. Do that. <laughs> I just, no, definitely not. You don't think of your parents like that, though, do you? You just, oh, yeah, it's mummy and daddy. You don't go, oh, when yeah. they're getting me tonight when we're asleep. <laughs> but it was so, I mean, I think it's important to have a bit of openness about that. And I try and be quite open as in, like, it's no big deal do you know what I mean as a as, yeah. because for me growing up it was it was so taboo and that actually meant that you know even when my period started I was like oh, you know like something was you know that's how you know and, I, and I, I think there needs to be a bit more openness but anyway that aside I do think that that love and the upbringing I had normal it was normal my brother my who was who grew up with my mom two years after I was born his childhood wasn't normal. 
He didn't have to go to school. He was out with the kids at seven years old, blowing up cars. Do you know what I mean? That was the life that I would, and he, and he watched my mom getting beaten up and he would run off with my mom to find refuge. You know, that was the life he had. So I looked, because I now know, because I've got a relationship with my brother, I now know how my life would have been. I did have a normal, like we went like you, you went on holidays. And I think in some ways it's, it's what's helping me to, to be the person that I am now. And to, to, you know, that having had that, that, that love, I think children is so important. That grounding, that upbringing that I did have, um, I'm, I'm really grateful for that. I mean, I don't know about you, but I do feel as though um, one of the most important things in, in a child's life is unconditional love. Yeah, 100%. And, and, and if you don't have that, then one of the things that I'm trying to build at the moment is like a program of, of sorts to help people find that unconditional love themselves, within yeah. themselves, because I didn't love myself. No. So it was very easy for me to fall for the abusive relationship. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of that, even though I had unconditional love, I still grew up not feeling loved and re feeling rejected. Yeah, same and as that. it's such a mixed mash, yeah. you know, craziness. Yeah. I mean, my parents growing up, I mean, they're very down to earth. They're really lovely people. My dad brought up on a council estate in Nottingham, worked his own way up, made his own business bought a massive house, like did really well financially for himself. My mum went to university. She, from what I gather, she actually had a few miscarriages before she started to adopt. She's never told me that, but she was never, I'm the most affectionate person in the world. Like if I'm in a relationship with my children, with my husband, with my family, I'm huggy, um, come and sit by me, come and give me a love. And my mum was never like that. My mum used to say to me, oh, I can't hug you, your boobs get in the way. And I was like, oh, okay then. But you know, and I never really felt that that sort of affection. And that's that's what I was craving. And I kind of looked at my best mate, my best mate was not affectionate in any way, shape, or form. Like she doesn't like physical contact. And now every time I see her, I mean it's been 24 years we've been best friends, and I'm the only person that she's actually really comfortable with, like being in me being in her personal space and hugging me and stuff like that like even with her own partner she's like yeah get off me but me I can sit on her lap and because I've just always been like that with her and I think I, I kind of got that affection from her rather than from my mum and dad but I mean my mum and dad they would do anything for us they worked their butts off to give us the things that we had and the opportunities that we had and I do think that they sometimes overcompensated for the fact that oh, you know, we don't want you to feel so rejected. And they almost felt as though they'd done something wrong. And they hadn't. It was just the way my mum shows love is not the way that I show love. Yeah. She would do it by washing my clothes and making sure all the practicalities. And she's a very logical thinking person, whereas I'm heart on my sleeve, give me cuddles, like complete opposite of her, really. And I mean, we still struggle with that a little bit now. We went years where I didn't really speak to her that much or we were arguing all the time. As a teenager, the amount of arguments we had and I'd storm out and I wouldn't go back for three or four days and 
I rebelled against everything. I'm not going to church like you because I don't. And I'd say really offensive stuff to her just to get a reaction out of her almost because she was just emotionless. There was nothing. She just wouldn't give anything away. And all I wanted was her to go, stop being a dick. Stop. You know, I love you. You don't have to behave like this to get a reaction because there was just never anything there. And my dad worked away a lot. And my, both my brothers were like, one was at uni and one had moved out. So it was just me, my mum and dad at home. And I just didn't feel like anyone really understood me. But we did argue a lot. I mean, now I speak to her every day. I don't go a day without speaking to her. And I think that's because of my birth mum dying as well. It makes me realise like, wow. And, and like you said about your brother and the way he was raised, my little sister was skinning up when she was nine years old. She was in with, she'd seen drug dealers her whole life, house angels her whole life. She'd been around drinking and drugs and all that sort of stuff her whole life. I mean, my mum's boyfriend chased around their house when she was like seven years old with a baseball bat. And my mum and her had to lock themselves in a cupboard downstairs. And I think Jesus, as she said to me, she went, I wish you hadn't have been adopted because then you could have been there for me. I had to go through that on my own. Yeah, um, I mean, that's, that's sometimes I feel that about my brother. I just wish I'd... I've actually written a short story. I haven't done anything with it, but it is a, sh- a short story about, about that, uh, yeah. sort of making it up in my head, fiction, and being there with my brother upstairs while the abuse was going on and being there for him, like the older yeah. sister, because yeah. that that's, that is the only reason I would wish that I had... Of, things could have been different. Yeah. So that I, I could have been there for him because he's, he's you know, he's got issues. I mean, he's getting through them, but, yeah. yeah. I think it's not- it's about your brothers, your adopted brothers. I think there is a difference between boys and girls. Yeah, 100%. He, I showed him, uh, my brother, a picture of my birth dad. I think he's different now. This was a good few years ago. I found out about my birth father in 2006 and yeah. I remember having a picture and, he, and, I, showed, and I, I showed it. He was just round here and I showed it. He went, oh, my God, can't believe you've got that. It was such a real weird response. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't feel guilty that my sister went through it and I didn't because it wasn't down to me. But I feel bad that my mum allowed her to go through that. And I feel bad that my mum allowed her to witness the things that she did and And I mean, my sister, she's a couple of years younger than me. The most important thing for her was not having a boyfriend, not having love. It was having a house that was stable because that's something she'd never had growing up. She used to midnight flip from one house to another. And all she ever wanted growing up was to live in a house and have a trampoline in a garden. And she achieved that by the time she was like 19, I think. And it wasn't her own house. It was rented, but it it was hers because she paid the rent. There was no issues of her getting kicked out or and for me for I never even thought about that I think growing up without having to worry about the stability of can we pay the gas bill are we gonna where are we gonna get our next meal from I never had to worry about any of that because it was just a given that it was going to be there she never had that and I think that's something that I don't think I'll ever really understand that much I mean, now, obviously, myself, now I'm on benefits and I'm not working at the minute, so I kind of see how my mum would have been. Yeah. What's coming out of this, like, massively, is that you, without a doubt, you have broken the cycle. 
Yeah, I hope really so. have. And there's been some real wonderful things that you've said in this um, about your how you're feeling about yourself now, which yeah. I know a lot of um, people are going to get a lot from yeah. on the adoption side and also the abuse side. And yeah. I'm not sure how I'm going to title this, but it's not just going to be on adoption. This is the connection with it all, because we've touched on a lot of things here. I don't yeah. know if you've seen any of my pod of my podcasts, but I do an angel. I do an angel reading. I've been doing angels since 2001. They've really helped me. I do angel readings as well. And I've got fairy cards as well that I do weekly, monthly basis or just when I feel like I need a bit of guidance. But I do a lot of meditation now as well and kind of got more into that side of life as I've got older. Whereas before I was old bunch of rubbish but now I'm like no actually what you put into the universe is what you get back and yeah that yeah. I think that's quite a common thing with people who've been through abuses they look for something where they can find peace and that that for a lot of people that I know that have also been through abuse a lot of the women that I know do angel cards or tarot cards or that sort of that sort of area of yeah yeah so, yeah well, I've been doing them. It's what I hadn't got when um, early and I went to get. And when, as you were talking, as we're talking, I'm just shuffling them. I'm just feeling them. And then I'm just cutting them three times. Yeah. And then I just see what comes up. And um, I just I just love my angels so much because <laughs> every time they just never cease to. Amazia. Yeah. So what I do is I cut three times and then I draw three cards. Yeah, uh, that's kind of what I've been doing um, during the uh, the podcast. And then I always I've always done this. I've always overturned the whole pack. And for me, that that card always signifies the overall reading for me. Yeah. So the first card that I got um, and this is a powerful card, you may know it's the Oracle that I use. It's it's the angel of knowing. Yeah. I think deep down, you know, Bethy, we know we know what yeah. in our gut it doesn't necessarily mean that we follow um but deep down we know and I think there's a message there as well for people listening to this yeah keep 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 an eye on that inner knowing that gut instinct because yeah. that is what will guide you and I think that's come out a lot in your message and yeah. in, and it's in my story as well doesn't surprise me that the guardian angel of children would come up. That's amazing. I've just got goosebumps then. Yeah. And this is the first time children's come up uh, in my uh, Searching for Truth podcasts. But we've, um, it feels like this guardian angel is, yeah, it feels right yeah. for her to be here. This is as well reconciliation oh wow <laughs> oh my god that's a little bit mad yeah yeah that makes complete sense that does now the overall card is beautiful and it's the angel of the miracle of love oh, i love that yeah so, so i'm really really uh feeling that reading with everything that we've yeah. spoken about. We've talked about a lot of, like, it's all kind of connected. 
And I think that's how I'm going to really go away and like piece this together insofar as what I, how I introduce it and title it, because this really is connected. And I think a lot of it is fundamental to that rejection, that adoption. I almost feel like, because when you fostered, because I grew up in a foster, I will send you the adoption video, Bethy, so you can get an idea more of my story. But when I grew up with foster children, so my mum and dad adopted me. So I felt very special because they adopted me, but they fostered lots of children. And so I felt very special, but the foster children still had a contact with their family. Yeah. They still, and even if it wasn't positive, they still knew where they came from. Yeah. That's the bit that was missing for me. And yeah, yeah, I think that's one of the hardest things for a lot of people who are adopted is that just not knowing. Everyone else knows where they come from. Everyone else knows their mum or seems to, because I didn't know anyone else apart from my brothers growing up. And that's the thing that really struck me is they get to see the woman who gave birth to them every day. And that's just what I... I beg I would give anything to have that and they just take it for granted yeah. and that I really struggled with that like you know if my mates were arguing with their parents I'd be like don't do that I'd be like that's your mum like you don't and it, although I'd sit there and row with my mum but if they did it I would get offended by it I'd be like you know have more respect she gave birth to you and I think she gave birth to you with such a massive thing in my head because I didn't know who that person was for me and I wouldn't come to Coventry ever if it was shopping or anything because I wouldn't want to I'd be walking around the streets looking at every woman like does she look like me do I look like her is that my mum is that my you know and when we used to go out as teenagers and a lad would go on from Coventry I'd be like no I can't speak to you you could be from my family you could be like my long lost brother or my cousin or you know and nobody else really had that that I knew apart from my brothers but they weren't interested no they didn't and we never we even now we don't speak about the fact that we're adopted like it's just not brought up in it anymore because it just the arguments Brian my oldest brother was like why do you need to find them you've got us and I was like it's not about you not being enough it's about I'm missing something and I need to find it yeah I think it's it comes to our own individual selves. I mean, and yeah. that you're this is testament that this is proving that because all three of you are in the same household. Because I did wonder, my cousin who was adopted um, was totally different to me. Yeah, totally different. She had no interest whatsoever. She was fine, you know. Yeah. And but so it's interesting to hear you in the same household of your brother, but you. And it's just, therefore, it just proves that, well, it makes sense. We're all different. Some yeah. of us, that you know, and, I, you know, you you were like me. You want to know. I mean, I've yeah. just, and it's, and, and it's because ultimately, I realise, and I said this in the video when you first met me, ultimately, I'm searching for myself. Yeah. I, I never felt that real um, love for myself because of this. So I'm just searching and so and I've just I've just been searching and searching and searching. It's been widening my perspective, widening my awareness. And whereas people that are closed up, maybe a little bit like your brothers, just like, yeah. no, just keep things how they are. Everything's yeah. fine. Don't need to rock the boat. Yeah. And I'm like, no, we need to rock the boat because actually yeah, I'm, in, I'm in that boat and I want to find me. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm gonna rock it. Yeah. 
that's it. That's exactly what I was like. I was like, I think because I thought growing up that when I found her, that'd be it and I'd feel okay and I'd feel complete. And when that didn't happen, and I still felt like, well, what else is missing? Oh, I'll meet my dad. Nope, that didn't fix it. And I didn't even realise that I was looking for myself. I'd like, I didn't actually realise that until many, many years later. And it, you just don't, you don't know that until, I mean, I think after I left my abusive ex and I've, I've met my husband, he was like, the, the, he was reading the social services reports and stuff about who I was and, and all the incidents that had happened between me and my mum and dad and the arguments and, you know, the, the kids going to my mum's house and then coming back to Coventry and the arguments that we used to have with my abusive ex in front of the kids and stuff. And he just went, this is not the girl that I know. And I just thought, no, it isn't. You don't know that person. But like, I'm not her anymore. I'm a nice person. I'm happy. Like, I've, I found that little bit of my sense of humour again. Like, I found that little bit of me that, I've, that I didn't really ever know was there or I didn't really know it was missing until it was there again. And I think you really do look for yourself in... I was looking everywhere else for it. I was looking at other people to make that... to, to fix me almost. And you don't realise that you can do it for yourself. And when you do, it's... I mean, I still struggle with my confidence. Sometimes I still struggle with um, my self-esteem and having, you know, confidence in myself that, yeah, I can go and get a job and, yeah, you can go and do this and, you know, you can go and get a career. You might be 36 years old, you might have five children, but you know what? Your husband's life didn't begin until he was 40 years old, lovely. So you've still got four years to get to that. So I think that gives me a lot of you know uh, motivation almost to do it and because he supports me so much which is something I'd never had in a relationship before it's like wow he actually thinks I can do it so if he thinks I can do it why don't I think I can do it and then you go actually I can do it can't I and then having positive people around you as well it just having a positive mental attitude can change your life and you don't even realize it 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 sounds as like this confidence you you mentioned it a few times this confidence uh, you went to you obviously went somewhere and that really helped you with finally leaving your abuser and um, I mean confidence is huge I teach confidence well I used to when I was allowed to go into schools but I teach confidence uh, in schools as well because I I feel that I I come I am confident yeah. And I think I always was, but actually I just, it was buried deep, deep down. So actually it was always there. And I think it is with, with children. It's kind of there, you know, kids are so confident and then things happen that just, you know, and, down and down and down and worse. Yeah. And that, and it saddens me so much that actually I was always this person, but on the outside, I was just this really scared little girl. Yeah, deep down, you know, I was there was it was always there, and so it's like, gosh, we've got to try and firstly with children, not try and help not dull that light in the first place. Yeah, but then as we start getting older, if it has been dulled, we need to light that back up. Yeah, sounds like you did have you found a resource to help you with, and maybe that was the start for you as well, like you know, looking at other things that can help you, like mindset and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I used to write a lot, a lot of poetry growing up. I think just to get it out my system, whatever was annoying me or hurting me, and I've got boxes of diaries that I've kept for years and years and years. 
And I think that's that was one of my coping mechanisms is if I can't tell anyone, at least I can get it out on paper and then it, it's like it's not in me no more. I, I've got it out and it, it's it's put away and if I need to come back to it another time, I will do. But I think that was a really, really big thing for me. And I, I've, even to this day, I don't really share my poetry with that many people because it's so personal and it's so... It's it's almost like the most vulnerable part of me on a piece of paper. Yeah. And I think the confidence that I had at that age when I was, you know, 13, 14, even up until I was about 18 years old, I didn't care who we were, what, you know, no race, religion, colour, sexual preference, anything bothered me. If I liked you, I liked you. And I would, oh, yeah, you're right, straight over the one first girl on the dance floor in the nightclub. And then after the abuse, I'd... I'd just sit in the corner, just, hi, oh, you're right, really having anxiety attacks. I mean, even before coming on Zoom, I was sat there about quarter to two. I was like, oh, my gosh, I've got, you need to calm down, Beth, go and have a quick cigarette and you'll be all right. But my anxiety, even now, um, I can't walk into a pub on my own. I can't go into a room full of people that I don't know. I can't go, I can't be in a big group of men on my own. I don't feel comfortable. And I still, even now, I have to push past that anxiety and go I can do it I know I can do it because I've done it before and I think trying to push your own boundaries is a really really positive thing for me because it's made me go actually I didn't think I could do that and now I can like I walked into a pub on my own in March just well just before the lockdown and it was the first time I'd done that in 15 years or something I was like oh my gosh I didn't have to get him to come outside and get me or you know anything and I was like I walked in, I was like, well, that wasn't that. Nothing bad happened. A couple of people looked, but it wasn't like I expected it to be. It wasn't like glares. And I I don't know what I thought would happen if I walked in on my own before with the anxiety. I don't know if I thought, you know, if I fall over or, but I'd always have to get someone to come outside, meet me and then take me in. We build it up in our heads. We build up this false idea of what might, might, might happen in our heads. And our heads it can can rule us. Our head, our mind, our thoughts can destroy us. Yeah. If we allow it, and it yeah. does, it does destroy a lot of people. Yeah. And I think we, the mental um, abuse, if you've received that from someone in a relationship, I mean, you were with him for nine years. Yeah. It's mental. I mean, obviously, there's violent. There can be physical, but it's I always found in the abusive relationship for me the heart, the real powerful stuff was the mental abuse yeah I mean I'd rather him have battered me 10 times a day rather than play the head games that he did with me because I genuinely thought I was going mad I went to the doctors and told them I need to be sectioned I am losing the plot I don't know anything anymore I don't know if I'm even in the doctors right now or if this is even real I don't know what is real and what is not because I just don't know and I I went and got the help that I needed thank god but I mean when I got better, he just started doing it even more. When it happened again, I had another nervous breakdown. Years without understanding exactly what was going on. And I questioned myself. I thought, oh, my God, my mum was a bit mad. And now I'm going a bit mad. And, you know, I'm obviously taking after her. And to block those sort of thoughts out, I'd start taking the drugs again or drinking. And and I'd just be like, oh, it's just because it was. It gave me an excuse. Oh, I must have just been drunk when I put that there and I've forgotten. Or it, it was... It was like I used to get drunk to blame myself so that I didn't have to go, it's actually him doing this to me. Because I I almost wanted to protect him from 
this stuff that he was doing. And it's, it's, it's absolute madness now looking back on it and actually saying it like that. But I didn't want him to be a bad person. I wanted to see the good in him. And if that made me having to take on the slack and be the bad person, then I was more than willing to do that at yeah. the time. So I'm hearing that a lot. I think, um, and it's and it's, it's even more makes it even more sad because actually the women that end up being in these relationships are the most kind hearted women you can meet. You can find. I worked in a I volunteered in a refuge before lockdown, and I was yeah. doing like well being and stuff with them every week. And I got a really um, so I started creating a really good relationship um, with them and. I was like, it's, and it's almost, it's, it's always makes it extremely sad because it's the women, these women have got hearts of gold and they actually stuck around longer because they thought they could help yeah. the perpetrator and make yeah. them better again. And it's, and it's just like, oh, but then I suppose more the women that perhaps wouldn't have such a soft heart wouldn't have gone for their men in the first place. No, they wouldn't. They wouldn't have. They wouldn't have. I just want to ask you um, a question, a couple of questions, I think. Yeah. Um, well, one of them is, so if if someone's watching this now and they're thinking about finding their birth family, what what would you say? I don't want to put you on the spot and don't worry if you haven't got I, that. But it, I would weigh up the pros and cons of it and really think about, every kind I thought I had done that I thought you know what she's got with the kids what if one of the kids is deaf and I never once thought about what if my mum was abused what if my mum is not in the right headspace what if she doesn't want to know me or what if I bring up some really bad memories for her but it's you need to think about yourself as well and you need to think if you want to go and find your birth parents you really need to sit down with yourself and actually go right what are the pros and cons of this what am I going to get out of this what are they going to get out of this what if they don't want to know what if how is that going to make me feel and explore that sort of feeling as well but ultimately it's up to the individual if if they want to go and do it do some research and but just know when you do meet them for the first couple of times just be aware that you they might be your blood and they might be your family but you don't know these people and I just think you've got a you know, you can build a relationship. I mean, me and my birth father have got a brilliant relationship now, and that's taken us 15 years to get it to where it is now. But I wouldn't change it for the world. You know, we have had some really hard times, like me and my mum. I think if I hadn't have met her, and she would have passed before I did, I can't say that I wouldn't be the same person. I can't say that I would have had the same experiences. But I think everybody has to make their own mind up on that. It's a really, really personal decision. Like for me, it was a, it was just, I was going to do it. Ever since the moment I found out I was adopted, I was going to find my birth parents. And that was something that I always knew. And I think my adoptive parents always knew as well. Whereas for my brother, it was the opposite. Not interested, never going to find them. Doesn't want to know anything about them. And that's his prerogative. For someone looking for their birth parents or considering doing it, I'd just say, just be careful with yourself. Look after yourself first to make sure that your well-being and your mental state is stable and that you can, you've got the support of people around you if it doesn't work out the way that you want it to. Yeah, yeah. That's really lovely advice, Bethy. Thank you for that. Um, I, I'll add to that as well is I think, um, well, it's interesting what you said, actually, because I think I was always destined to, I knew I was going to, and I think my, my adoptive parents 
knew that as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah my little boy's just come in blowing kisses. Daniel, go out. I'll speak to you. Oh, that's lovely. Well, we're going to finish off in a minute. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I um, I always think I knew. I mean, I went to find a picture of my mom. I was so at the defiant. I was like, yes, I want this. I want this. I actually feel sp- that I was quite spiritually connected with my mom now because it's only as I've gotten older, I realise I am really quite spiritually um connected so and I and I found out about my mum just before she died but yeah I didn't know that but the time that I was searching crazy for her for a photo and really searching she was she was missing and the police actually were thinking of coming to my adoptive parents house while she was missing in case she was trying to find her adopted daughter Yeah. yeah so I do look at that now as like we were connected yeah and we were like so, yeah, because it was really high, you know, really desperate to see her at the time that she was desperate. Yeah. Did I feel that maybe, you know? They yeah, do possibly. say that a lot. Yeah. Um, so there was no doubt about it, but I would also say to somebody that's really thinking about this is really question what, what gap you're filling. Yeah. Yeah, why are you doing it in the first place? What, why do you have this need to know? For me, I just, I don't even know what it was. I just had to know. I'm a very nosy person. I like to know everything about everything. And I think having such a big blank space, it just made me uncomfortable. And it was like, I have to fill it. I have to find out. I need to know. Yeah, it was like an obsession for years about who is she? Do I look like her? I need to know. I need, and from the age of nine, 10, it was just, I'm going to find her. When I'm 18, I'm going to get that paperwork and I'm going to phone up Father Hudson's and I'm going to find her. And it was just, there was no other option for me. It wasn't, oh, I might do. No, I am going to. And I think that's a lot of other people feel like that. Some people are, you know, unsure. But for me, nah, I, I needed to do it. And like you said about filling that gap, you need to know why you need to fill that gap. And also understand that not necessarily they're going to be the ones to fill it. If you, um, you, there's still a possibility you might still feel that that need to think else or yeah. So yeah, yeah. Oh, Bethy, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. It's 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 complex and it's all kind of entwined and entwined. And yeah. I'm a great believer that it's a it's a healing thing sharing. Um, yeah. Yeah, and uh, hopefully people watching this will be encouraged to um, maybe share their own story. Um, but more importantly than that, I hope that they can listen to your story and and really gain something from it for themselves, some strength. Yeah. yeah. You know, you're doing well. You're doing really well. You've got yourself a good husband. You've got all your children. I know you haven't got them all with you. But you but know still, where the th- you know where the three are, don't you? Yeah. They're in a safe space. Yeah, I speak to them every day. We FaceTime yeah. every day. They they're probably more open with me than they would be if they lived with me because they can talk to me about stuff. I'm not gonna sit there and tell them off for doing something naughty because I'm just like, don't do that again. That's just being a bit silly, isn't it? Why are you doing that to nanny for? Or, but I, I speak to them every day, and they know how much I love them. And they also know that, you know, I didn't grow up living with my birth mother. So they understand that I understand that feeling. And I think that is a really big thing for me with them is that I understand that 
why don't we live with your mum? Because, and I can't, I've, you know, I can't sit there and go, oh, well, Daniel and Joseph live here, but you can't. But then again, I don't want to tell them about the whole social services situation and all this because they don't need to know. They're nine, eleven, and no, nine, twelve, and thirteen years old, and they're just starting. Well, the oldest one's just started to hit puberty. He thinks he's a bit of a bad man, yeah. and I just don't want to. You know, I don't want to upset him, or you know, he knows a little bit about the abuse with me and his dad, but he doesn't know half of. If they ask me, and I'm never going to lie to them, but I'm never going to tell them every single nasty detail I'm not going to you know sit there and slag their dad off to them or say he did this and he did that no he's your dad I'm your mum and that's it yeah and you know I think that's that's probably the most positive thing that's come out of any of this is the fact that I now can sit and talk to him because of the children yeah so, and I think they see that as a really good thing they're like wow they haven't spoken for seven years and now mum's speaking to her because she needs you know she wants to support us so she's put her feelings aside for us and I think that's a massive thing for them as well yeah it sounds like you're doing you're doing a fabulous job Beth and I know sometimes it can be hard in our own heads we can feel like we're not but I love the fact that you're waking up in the morning excited for the new day just keep going and always know you know if ever you are feeling down some days you can give me a call I mean we're connected now I feel so um I feel, I'm really, really pleased and thankful for our connection. It's yeah, only just began. And as you were talking before, I thought, you know what? You're not, you're not far from me, really. When we've got, um, when this is all, this is over, we should, um, we should meet up. Yeah, and have a coffee. Really have got, uh, I feel quite emotional, actually. Oh, but I, feel, I know, I just feel like there's a connection here with you. I'm so, um, I think the women and and men as well, but mainly women that I'm wanting to help with a program, which is, again, it's around unconditional love. And it's about this searching and then awakening that love within ourselves, because I think if we can do that, then a lot of these issues that we, we won't we wouldn't have in the first place. Yeah. And I'm seeing you. I went years and years figuring this shit out. You know, and we're still we're still on a journey. I mean, I know, you know, we could all we could all still relapse. relapse. Sometimes I drink too much wine. I'm not an alcoholic, and but I I can't when I'm when I'm drinking. I'm like I just keep going, and I know that yeah. that's, you know, it's it's an ongoing journey. Yeah, and you have to you have to work every day with certain things like that. I mean, yeah, to the point when I was drinking two bottles of wine a day, and to get from that to just being able to drink on the weekends for me is I never thought that would happen I didn't think I'd have the self-control I thought it'd be either you drink every day or you don't drink at all there was no middle ground for me but I've actually found it within myself and I'll go you know on a Monday night I might fancy a glass of wine but no you've got to get up for the kids in the morning you know if you open the bottle you're not going to bed till it's finished and it's just leave it on the side on Friday night you can have a drink on Friday night when the kids are in bed and you sat there watching your soaps or whatever it might be, yeah, have a treat of a glass of wine or something. But I have to remind myself, don't do it on when, like, you know, in the week, if I fancy it, if I've had a bad day, it's like, no, you can wait till the weekend, then you'll enjoy it more. Yeah. And kind of put a, a positive twist on it rather than going, oh, I need a drink, I can't deal with this. Yeah. So, yeah, I think you have to do that sometimes as well. And that's something that I've learned as well is self-control because I never had that before with I would do anything just to stop the thoughts or the nightmares or whatever it might be. If I have a, oh, I'll smoke a spliff before I go to bed tonight, then I'll, I won't dream. So I won't have the nightmares. And 
and, and stuff like that. And I think the fact that I've been clean for God knows how, well, from amphetamines for 10 years, alcohol, I still drink now and again, and from weed about three years. I think the fact that I can actually do that and, and be all right with it is a massive thing for me because I can go, right, now. I'm not doing that. Yeah, beautiful, yeah. beautiful. Bethy, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Is there anything else you want to say before we, um, before we finish? No, I think that's about it. We've covered a lot, haven't we? We've, yeah. covered a lot. So thank you. Thank you so the, much. The strange thing is that your surname's Joseph. My granddad was Joseph and my youngest son's called Joseph as well. Really? I, yeah, I just thought, I've, I've noticed that the other day and I was like, it's a bit strange. <laughs> All right, my darling. Well, thank you so much. No problems. You take care and I'll speak to you soon. Yeah, definitely. You take care, darling. See you. Bye. Bye Bye bye. Bye bye. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So that was Bethy Doyle didn't know her surname until it came up on the screen that's how short the time is that I've known Bethy I didn't know all of that about her childhood and the abusive relationship and the the ins and outs about finding her her family I didn't so you are um, in exactly the same position as I am now wow I'm still a little bit shell-shocked by that because that was a really powerful interview and uh, I'm really, really, really grateful and thankful for Bethy coming on and talking to me today. Facing her fear and I really do encourage others to do that. Yeah. Anyway, I am going now. I need to go and get a cup of tea. Thank you so much for listening. I will be back. Bye-bye.